Hi, I'm Joe Sheeran, and welcome to the Dealmaker series. This show highlights some of our most interesting deals by talking to the entrepreneurs and the dealmakers behind them. Today, we're talking to Neil Pizzi, the managing director of Amazon Filters, who received investment from BGF in 2018. And I'm delighted to also be joined by Surinder Mataru from KPMG, who led on the deal. Hi, guys. How are you doing today? Very good. Thank you. Very good, Joe. Thanks. Awesome. Brill. So, Neil, thanks so much for joining us. If we could just start with you, it would be great to tell, if you could tell us a bit more about yourself and Amazon Filters story. Of course, yeah. Uh, so uh, Amazon Filters is about 38 years old, founded in 1985, I think. And uh, we're a manufacturer of um, filtration products supplying the global process industries. Basically, we clean up dirty fluids. Very glamorous. Um, <laughs> company was founded by my father, who was an extremely entrepreneurial person. He'd uh, always had various side hustles in the current vernacular in his younger days, um, from caravan rentals to mail order clothes, to trying to market solar panels about 20 years before their time. Um, and eventually, he sort of decided to bite the bullet, I guess, and start his own business before it was too late uh, I, when i say that i mean a sort of proper business if you like full time so he took the plunge and started amazon filters uh which you know when you think back to it was a pretty high risk thing to do to leave a secure job when you've got a large mortgage three kids um and all the rest of it to support yeah. so um you probably had the um a level of nerve that i wouldn't have had if i'm honest about it um since then, I guess it's been a fairly steady upward path of organic year-on-year -year growth. I think I think I'm right in saying that we've grown every year of our existence. Um, not spectacular, but steady, and uh, you know something we're we're quite proud of, really, um, because you know it's, we're not very cyclical. It means I guess we're we're working to some level of plan over time. Um, and you know, in amongst that period of time, we've grown through various recessions turbulent um, periods and uh, and and the, the pandemic amongst other things um, so really it's, it's quite amazing to reflect back that when I joined the company uh, something over 25 years ago I think I was the 11th employee and we had revenue of about 800,000 pounds you know now we're something in excess of 250 people with facilities in three countries and a revenue of around 36 million pounds this year awesome. Um, so just just a couple of things I think may be worth reflecting on during that time yeah. um, is that one is that we've always been international in our approach, um, even from even before when I joined the company. Uh, and I think that stood us in really good stead. You know, we, we export over 70 percent of our sales. We've got subsidiaries in Poland and Germany and distributors and partners all over the world, both uh, in terms of sales channel and suppliers and um, sort of academic partners and, you know, product development partners, etc. Uh, and it, it's perhaps unusual for a smaller company to be so international. Um, but I would really encourage people not to be too daunted by that. Uh, it's, a, it's a bit more difficult post-Brexit than it used to be to actually do the trade, but it, it's not that bad. And the rewards in terms of um, the business that you can achieve and also the sort of 
interest and experiences you can gain from it are absolutely fantastic and I no regrets around that and I think it's it's absolutely integral to our history and our growth um, you know there's no way we would have been able to win some of the customers we do without having that international presence and even in the UK it brings you a credibility by being able to service global um, customers that you wouldn't get any other way and then the other thing sometimes reflects back on is how hard we've worked over the years to try to maintain the culture and personality of our business um, as we've grown and you know when you're small 30 people or whatever uh, it's actually really easy because everybody shares a common experience and you sort of you translate culture just by osmosis really you know when you're all in the same office same warehouse Everybody knows what other people think and therefore you don't really work at it. And what we've really learned is you need to work on it. And, you know, in some ways I wish we'd recognised that a little bit earlier, but I think we recognised it early enough. And we we work hard to try and make sure people that join us are the right type of people, that they understand what we want to achieve and that our aspirations match each other and that, you know, everybody sort of recognises that that's how we achieve success together, basically. And, you know, often I feel a bit of imposter syndrome around this because you always look at what other people do and think, oh, KPMG does a fantastic job around employee engagement and cultural stuff. And, and that's absolutely true. But equally, uh, this somebody, a visitor, drew my attention to this relatively recently, to be honest. I think it is one of those things that is quite rare for a company of our scale, perhaps, to do, and certainly in our sector. You know, we're quite industrial, right? We, we work with yeah. uh, all sorts of cultural backgrounds within our employee base, all sorts of demographics, and we work really hard at it. And I think, uh, you know, that's a, a really important reflection on where we've come from within our, our time over the years, really, and, and something I aspire to do more of and better at in the future as well. Brilliant, brilliant. And you're also quite innovative as well, aren't you, Neil, in terms of solving new problems and those kinds yeah, of things? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, in many ways, we're not traditionally what you might view as innovative in terms of product development. You know, we, we do lots of um, variations of product to suit new applications. But I guess what it's about in our type of sector is is finding solutions to new problems, even if it's using existing technologies. So we have a, a big toolkit of, of solutions out there. Um, but it, our real key is how to apply that knowledge to solve a particular customer's problem. Um, and I've said it a number of times. Um, we're a knowledge sale um, that takes the form of a physical product, basically. You know, nobody buys a, a filter because it looks nice on your mantelpiece. It's not an object of desire. Um, really, it's it's the, the the tool to solve somebody's problem. And what we're really doing is providing the knowledge of how to solve that problem for somebody. Um, so that's that's where our innovation comes in, is making sure we're on the lookout for how to solve people's problems when they don't necessarily have another solution to it. Yeah. And you're also a family business that you mentioned there. And obviously, family businesses have their ups and downs in terms of that whole dynamic and everything else from that perspective. How, how have you managed that? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, you're right in your, your replication. You hear lots of horror stories of families, businesses and people falling out because of their business. So I, I feel fairly privileged to say that it's never really been an issue for us. Um, you know, we've always had great alignment between the family and um, the other shareholders. And every now and again, you know, we do we do a bigger occasion. And I have witnessed a few people in meetings where me and my brother are sort of, you know, talking rather curtly, shall we say, to each other in a way you wouldn't to another member of staff. But that's about the worst it's ever got. And uh, even that, as we've got a bit older and, a, you know, a bit more mellow, has uh, uh, sort of worked its way out of our relationship, really. So I, I wouldn't say there's any big secret. I guess it's just, you know, working at your relationships, yeah. making sure you keep your respect, recognising what everybody brings to the party. And, you know, we, I guess we're just lucky that we don't feel the need to compete with each other. So, uh, yeah, long may it last, I think. Good, good. <laughs> so at the, at the moment that you decided to take investment from BGF, why did you decide that was that was a good thing to do at that point? Um, it's a good question. I think we got to a point where maybe we thought we got a little bit cosy. Um, you know, we were we were cruising along quite nicely. Uh, our, our board consisted of me, my dad, my brother, and our mates. Um, so we weren't perhaps holding each other to account as strictly as we might have. And we just felt we needed uh, something to reinvigor reinvigorate ourselves. Um, you know, you can just get a little bit insular, a little bit mm. inward looking. And also perhaps, um, I don't know, start to be a little bit um, defensive. So, you know, you're looking to protect what you've already grown rather than go to the next phase of growth so so after a lot of consideration we decided that a, an outside investor would be uh, a great way of addressing some of that so bring a bit of increased or uh, rigor to our processes um you know hold us to account a bit more bring a fresh set of eyes a fresh viewpoint to the business um certainly bring more accountability and also a renewed ambition so that's really what what kicked the whole process off and how did BGF impact the business in reality? Uh, well, they brought all of those things, that's for sure. Yeah, that's great, isn't it, though? Well, it is, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I would say you have to be careful what you wish for, because, uh, and in fairness, I think BGF were probably the, you know, most benign is the wrong word for anybody who's in that sector okay but the most reasonable and as they like to say patient capital out there but when you've been running your own business with pretty much nobody to answer to uh, for 30 whatever years having anybody even asking you a question feels rather impertinent yeah. so it is a bit of a culture shock and I'm sure other people who bring external third parties into their business must experience that because it is really quite difficult and we were well I, I think we were well prepared I mean the surrender and the KPMT team took us through you know really quite a long process of softening softening us up for what it was going to be like really <laughs> put it this way we went in with our, I, know, I, I tease you right but we went in with our eyes quite open as to what yeah. to expect so it yeah. wasn't a shock or anything like that but it's still you know, even though you consciously and rationally understand what's coming, 
um it's still you've got to learn how to deal with that you know mm. why are you asking me that mind your own business <laughs> yeah. type of attitude would be very easy to have so so sorry go back to to the your question and i'm sorry i'm i'm not walking um big jeff brought exactly what we wanted from them you know we got asked uncomfortable questions some of which you roll your eyes out and think well you, you know you don't know what you're talking about and then you sort of sit there and think but hang on a minute, why do we do that? And mm. that's exactly what we wanted. And, and often there's not an answer, you know, you, or, or you, you, you recognise you do things for reasons that were perfectly legitimate 10 years ago when you started doing them. Yeah. But of course, in a, in a relatively, yeah, decisions you make for 50 people when you're doing 10 million sales are completely different from decisions you need to make with 250 people and 30 million sales. It's a different environment and different um, set of rules, I suppose. Yeah. And somebody from the outside looking at that and saying, well, what's that about? Or why did you do that? Is a really, really refreshing thing to do and, and really brought uh, great benefits for us. Brilliant. Brilliant. So, Surrender, just, just over to you. Um, You've obviously been doing loads of deals in the flow control and filtration sector. And, you know, at that time in 2018, what was actually happening in that sector? Yeah, I mean, the sector, thanks, Joe, the, the sector has continued uh, to consolidate and it just remains incredibly active from an M&A perspective. So it's a really it's a great place for people to invest into. And I mean, in particular, what we saw back then uh, was that there were quite a number of large players and consolidators in the sector who were investing together with private equity and financial sponsors who were looking at mature businesses like Neil's and others in that SME market, but also early stage technologies to find a route in to the sector as well. So there really has been a, num a lot of inward investment into the sector. And, and I guess one, one might ask, look, why should I get into this space of flow control? Why should I invest in the filtration space? What's so attractive about it? And I guess a lot of these elements were evident in Neil's business is what we found out as well over time is, you know, it really is that diversity of markets and applications into which these businesses supply. You know, it's also, you know, a filtration type business in particular has a level of aftermarket and recurring revenue which, you know, a lot of investors like, you know, you might liken it to a, and, and Neil, you know, forgive me for, for using this terminology, it's, it's a sophisticated razor blade model. You know, you, you, you have an engineering led sale and then you, you know, you stream the revenue as you replace the blades over the life cycle of that razor. Um, and that's what people really like. But also it's the engineering, I think, that goes into this sector, which people like. So there's knowledge, there's, there's, there's IP in people's heads rather than on a piece of paper. Um, and so I think that's what really attracts people to this sector. I guess the other thing as well, a real common theme that we've seen increasing since 2018, Joe, is, is ESG. It's become ever more prominent on the corporate agenda, especially in the flow control sector. And Neil, you, I know you're seeing that and evidencing that today in your business. But, you know, in particular, Joe, the food and beverage sector has really seen some strong growth together with healthcare, not least driven by the recent pandemic. Um, but also renewable energy sectors, as we're looking at the energy transition, again, that is really driving some growth in this sector. So there are a number of industries which really are providing little catalysts of growth, which is why people get so excited about it. So, yeah, it's a great place to invest and uh, will continue to be so.
Yeah, I think you're bang on there, Sarinda. Sorry, Jack. Yeah, um, you know, there, there's um, that sort of whole thing about there's always this churn of new sectors that are bringing um, innovation to market. And in any new application sector, there's nearly always a problem to solve for things like filtration. So, you know, you take what's going on now, all the news, you can't you can't listen to anything without hearing about you know hydrogen energy projects absolute driver of growth in filtration sectors because all of those hydrogen production plants have got things like electrolytes and water treatment and what have you all of which use filtration in their in their solutions um to, to their process problems if you like and that's just a you know a, a tiny example of something that repeats over and over and over so you've got this this permanent churn and this is where it comes back to the knowledge sale thing where essentially um, that ip isn't particularly easy to copy it's quite sticky because um, it's really late related to the knowledge and the experience you gain as a business by applying your products to different solutions over a period of time so it's actually the biggest challenge for a filter company and its biggest protection because the biggest challenge is how to share that knowledge within your staff as you try and grow but the biggest thing it brings you is this market protection and this opportunity from your experience and your demonstrable ability to solve problems basically sorry that's a, it's just supporting your yeah, point really great. surrender as to why i think it's appropriate for people to like it as an investment arena basically because i think you know there is that underlying inherent sort of logic in it basically thanks Neil. that was really helpful um just reflecting back on the deal and i think you maybe alluded to these things earlier neil what were some of the challenges you faced as you know you had investors interested in you and and other people yeah, so um, I mean, first of all, the, the process of um, deciding that you want to take an investor is quite um, psychologically challenging for a family business because it's all about, you know, seeding of control. Uh, most people who start their own business do it because, well, a lot of people, I guess, because they want control of their destiny. I don't think it's really a financial decision for most people. Certainly wasn't within our group. And to then, you know, sort of re realise that one of the consequences of a third party investor is that you are relinquishing some of that level of control is something you've really got to understand before you go into the process. Um, so once you've got your head over that, you've then got to think about who are appropriate partners and understand you know what what different options you have out there um are you going to talk to trade partners are you going to go for minority investment are you going to you know really go for an aggressive PE who wants to drive growth at the expense of or value at the expense of everything else um so so that i think was quite challenging to really understand and you know people like us we're not familiar with that world uh, and I remember a number of times Surinder and, and, and the team having to sort of stop and explain some of the terminology to us because you know we, we just don't live in the same world it's it's quite a simple world in a in a, um, a, a privately owned relatively small business you know can should we do this capital investment can we afford it yeah I reckon we can okay then let's do it you know it can be as simple as that and uh, so therefore you, you've got to learn another um, 
world, if you like, that operates with different sets of rules and different um, criteria and, and judgments. So, so that was um, challenging and fascinating. I have to say it was an adventure. Um, and then when you get to the, the next level is, you know, who actually wants to wants to become your partner and if you're lucky enough to have a choice of people which one do you want to actually go with and then it starts to become all that you know relationship stuff um you know clearly what people are willing to invest is part of the criteria but you know if for me the big challenge was who do we trust who would we want to work with because the disaster in this would have been take the investor you know, you've done all right financially and then you're stuck with somebody who you really don't share a vision with. And mm. for me, that's a disaster for all parties because, yeah. well, yeah, I mean, having having seen what it was like with a party you're aligned with, um, to, to imagine that you'd be with a party you're not really aligned with, I just couldn't imagine what that would have been like. Um, so, yeah, all of those are, 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 I think, are big challenges. And then, of course, you actually do the deal and then you start again <laughs> with, the, with the next set of challenges. You, you, want, you, you want us to employ what level of financial director? <laughs> and, of course, that's, that's the great stuff because you sit there and, you know, a company like us, um, you know, would have historically probably seen our finance function as an administrative function, really. And, uh, you know, part of the deal was um, we want you to bring a real high level FD into the business. And I was like rolling my eyes, you know, thinking, well, what, 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 what would we want to do that for? What, why would we want to, you know, uh, employ at that level for a little simple business like ours? And of course, you know, the reality is we did it and it's the best thing we ever did. The best thing that BGF brought to the table was that requirement. And and I would have said we were quite a financially, you know, in terms of um, compliance, I think we were very compliant. Uh, There's no, no problem on that side. But just recognising what other roles other people can bring to the party. Um, you know, what do they say? You only know what you know. Right. Yeah. And that's that type of stuff that you've never really experienced before, which was the, the great benefit out of uh, that type of investment. But also the challenges, because you, you really have to get your head around accepting that other people's, you know, influence and experience um, is very valid and, uh, mm. you know, worthy of, of taking on, basically. So, yeah. Yeah. New way interesting. Of- New ways of working. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and did you find Neil that um you learnt more about your business after the BGF investment? Did they make you look at your business in a different light, perhaps as well? Yeah, absolutely. I would have said we were very compliant and very knowledgeable about our own business, and in some areas that really held true. But in some of the compliance stuff, you know, it just stunned me the types of questions you're being asked and the level of detail that you know. With all the will in the world, we just didn't know the answers to. And, you know, at the time we tried to do, well, we did all the diligence without involvement of our finance manager at the time. So I was having to, like, dig out information from places where, you know, but I, I really didn't know how to do it and didn't know how to answer some of the questions. And like I said, I think... It would be fair to say, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I would say, you know, we were probably data rich and pretty compliant as a business of our scale compared to what I see of many others similar. And even then, it's just 
just unreal. I mean, I, you know, the cynic in me says that there is a little bit of uh, self-perpetuation that the the industry finds it quite handy to do that level of diligence because obviously it generates money as well, doesn't it? Right. But from your perspective, what was special about this deal? Yeah, what was special? I guess. Yeah, I mean, it was, and it was it was a bit of a fresh, breath of fresh air, in all honesty, advising Neil and you know the family and and, and the shareholders because, you know. I guess they were very straight talking individuals. So we always knew as a set of advisors where we where we stood. So they had very clear objectives. It wasn't like a yo-yo effect, which we sometimes find. Um, but I think most importantly, the thing that stood out was that it was more than it was about more than just the economic side of the transaction. Actually, this was really about they knew that they wanted to find a partner and actually that cultural fit given Neil, family and the shareholders background, they had to find somebody, both the investor and people who were going to join the board that they were going to get on with, that they could gel with, that they could sit around. I remember having the conversation, Sarinda, I've got to be able to sit around the coffee table and have a, a bacon sandwich and a, and, a, and a cup of tea, you know, with, with, with this individual. So actually that cultural fit was was very, very important. Um, so I guess that we, we, we spent a lot of time really thinking through, you know, who are those different types of individuals in terms of financial sponsors and partners? They've got different skill sets, different experiences, different, you know, investment experience as well, who we could actually put forward to Neil and and and, and the other shareholders. And um, yeah, look, it was, it was very different actually, because that's not the type of transaction that I've in my career have come across to approach it from a cultural versus an economic perspective. So I think that was really, really stood out for us and look I guess we also made sure we had a good laugh along the way during the, okay. during the deal a fair, play, good a fair play to you guys you know one of the most impressive parts of the process from my perspective is that we ended up with three potential investors in front of us uh, all all of which met most of those criteria and you know I would have been relatively happy to have partnered with any one of them because I felt they met that that fit of you know alignment of I don't know personality for want of a better term or or you know just just respectfulness reasonableness sensible approach you know good ethics all of that stuff not not that I think I think other people don't have that but you just got there's got to be a little bit of chemistry I suppose and rapport and I do think that you guys understood that was really important to us. And, it, you know, it therefore probably took a bit longer than it might have otherwise taken. But I think you also recognised that if you'd actually pushed us down a path of unsuitable partners, we would have just backed out of it you know, and, and not, not done the deal at all because we yeah. were in a, 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 a fortunate position where we didn't need to do the deal financially. This was This was a choice for you know for reasons of future growth and longevity of the business and legacy and all the rest of it um so therefore we always had that choice open to us which was to just to do nothing um and i think we would have if we'd you know not had a really patient um set of advisors basically open understand that it's it's going to be quite um onerous in terms of what you have to share about your business the information you have you know if you're going to go into a diligence process it's going to be hard work you're going to have to find 
information that you don't find particularly easy to find and you're going to have to explain to people who are asking you things at a level of detail that aren't necessarily very comfortable to you so i think that that you know understanding that the process in itself is is relatively challenging is, is one of the things i would say as a lesson um but i think the other thing is is you know expect to be surprised by some of the things you gain out of it because some of the things we gained in terms of board discipline and um you know sort of financial rigor and um the value of somebody looking at your business from a different perspective were um much more significant than i really thought they would be um, so yeah two 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 sides really one is it's harder work to do than you think it's going to be and secondly is that the benefits were bigger than i thought they were going to be yeah so it's worthwhile in the end yeah it was worthwhile. absolutely yeah. absolutely no regrets about it at all joe it's really and and to be honest even if you forget all of that you know what, what do you go into business running your own business for one of the reasons is uh to to get life experiences right mm, and uh, this is one of those which i wouldn't have missed because it's just fascinating being exposed to a different world of you know people who look at business from a different perspective we're a yeah. bunch of nerdy engineers you know all we think about yeah, is sure. yeah, <laughs> <Kate and> Metlin <laughs> making <laughs> things <laughs> thanks neil thanks welcome and surrender from your perspective what was the key lesson that you've learned yeah, I mean, key lessons. Um, I think it's, you know, for me, it was don't judge a book by its cover on this one. It's a bit of a cliche, but, you know, when we when we approach the business from the outset, um, it, you know, we were sort of thinking it was quite, quite unsophisticated from the outside in. But actually, as we got into the business, got to know Neil and the family and the shareholders well, and actually understood the level of sophistication of what they do and how they do it, um, we were very quickly able to articulate how good a business it actually was. So, so for me, it was almost that you know, coming with your eyes wide open as an advisor, but don't have maybe some preconceived ideas of what you think the business is actually like. Because actually, when we got into the business, it was it was amazing how much knowledge was actually held within the heads of the shareholders. And when we were able to articulate that with the time we spent with them, and I guess when you look at the business today, it's it it show it proves in terms of the performance they've got and how they're outward facing now versus perhaps before you took the investment on Neil, you are a different business in that respect. Yeah, I agree. It was interesting, really. So even preparing the sort of you know the the, the sale documents or the you know the, the the pitch documents and sort of articulating the business plan, which we sort of all knew and had written down in a, a, a relatively you know light version so turning that into a much more presentable um, document for outsiders was a great piece of work in itself I mean, it really did allow us to articulate exactly as you said what was already in all our heads you know yeah. and, and being more formal like that was great lessons great lessons mm. And I guess enhance your sales proposition when you're going oh, to new clients yeah. and that whole side yeah, of things as well. Absolutely. Brilliant. Absolutely. Brilliant. Thanks. So we've just got about five minutes left. So I just thought it'd be great to learn a bit more about the deal makers. So the people behind the deal. So, Neil, just to pick on you first, what do you know now that you wish you had known when you started out? How hard work it would be. <laughs> <laughs> 
But that you still would do it all the time. The, the, the toughest six months I've uh, spent in my life. Yeah. And surrender from your side? Um, I guess I've learned what a builder's tea definitely is. We had a few of those, <laughs> didn't we, Neil? I should have learned that from the outset. And maybe brought a pack of biscuits with me along the way. But. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm a big holiday person. It'd be great to hear what holiday plans you both have for 2023. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm going to Thailand uh, in February. Um, I, I've, I've travelled in the Far East, mainly in China, extensively for work. But I've never really hol- holidayed in that part of the world. So I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, hopefully. And, and you, Surrender? Yeah, I mean, I'm planning uh, a golf trip to Portugal uh, in Easter. Um that's already in the diary and also looking to potentially get out to Australia, perhaps at the end of the year, just thinking about visiting my aunt who I haven't seen for, gosh, over 10 years. Fantastic. Wow. Yes, brilliant. That. And just thinking about when you're going on holiday, what do you think or what have you read or what's inspired you lately from a podcast perspective or TV series, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's really sad, but I never find the time to do that type of stuff. I, I did get the chance of spending a day with an Olympic winning rower recently, literally last week, and listening to him describing some of the pain they went through on the journey to a gold medal uh, makes you realise quite what it requires to be an elite endurance athlete. And I have to mm. say, I found that's pretty inspiring. It certainly got me thinking about the the psychology of what motivates people to drive for success at that level um so yeah that was that was quite inspiring just on a sort of personal level if you like or a human level oh, brilliant and surrender you anything that's inspired you about yeah for me i mean i've started listening to um a podcast by one of the dragon the new dragons actually stephen bartlett so i uh tend to listen to him and i guess there's quite a few podcasts but the most recent one i listened to was just from a it was like a health and nutritionist, really. I think he's a doctor by profession. And he was just talking a lot about gut health versus by all of this, mm. these fad diets that are out there and calorie counting at the moment. And it's just made me think quite different about my diet and what goes in um, for the new year. So that's definitely inspired me to think a little differently. Okay, great. Thanks, Rinder. So just my final question. If anyone's looking at selling their business, what's your advice? Let's start with you, Surinder. Yeah, apart from comes KPMG, clearly, I guess the, the advice would be, you know, it would be to make sure that you're not just focused on the here and now. Make sure you've got one eye on the future, because typically we find when we go and meet new businesses, new clients, there tends to be a short term sort of view around the next 12 months. But actually, personal circumstances can change. Events in the macro and political world can change, which we've seen quite a lot in the world that we've been living in over the last two to three years. And things can change quite quickly. So, you know, my advice would be to make sure that you actually understand what your options really are early on rather than delaying it, um, because that's very important. And even if that means you go through that exercise and doing nothing is the right answer, then so be it. At least you're better informed around what options you may be able to take in the in the future. Because the last thing you want is for it to be too late uh, for you to pursue another option, which you wish you had learned um, and known about some years ago. Thanks, Rinder. And, and you, Neil? 
So I would say um, make sure you've got your eyes wide open. Uh, make sure you're completely clear about what you want to achieve from a sale. And that actually goes back to Surinder's point just then, which is, you know, doing nothing is an option. And if you think about our transaction, we we stopped at least twice, I would say, um, really considering whether we understood what we were trying to achieve, basically. Um, and then make sure you understand what the consequences of the sale are, um, because, you know, not understanding that I think has has big risks. And then the other point I'd make is don't try and cut corners at the front end by skimping on advice or you know skimping on preparation for due diligence, things like that. Um, you know I, I'm absolutely certain from our experience that good quality advice will more than pay for itself in the end, even if at the time it does make your eyes water. And Surinder knows how much, how many times he had to pick me up from falling off my chair when he was quoting fees to me. Um, <laughs> but but even at the back of all of that, I'd pay the same again because actually it was great value. And uh, sorry, I sound like I'm making a pitch for you now. That's that's not the point, really. The point is, is that, um, you know, from a layman's perspective, you can easily dig yourself in all sorts of holes unless you've got somebody advising you who really knows what they're talking about. And I would absolutely recommend that. Right. So, Neil, I know um, it's looking like a really bright future for you and Amazon Filters. So can you give us, you know, just an indication of some plans you've got? Yeah. Um, so we've completed a share buyback from BGF um, middle of last year. Um, and now we're right in the middle of a, a, a big program of investment for future growth or for further future growth to hopefully secure an even healthier future for the business uh, and its staff. Um, you know, we, we've we've been lucky enough to be accustomed to that and uh, aren't planning on it stopping now. So, um, you know, the BGF period was a, was a great experience. I learned loads personally and I think we learned loads as a business and I think that's left us perfectly positioned to to apply that uh, and to continue to grow in the future and hopefully be successful for the future. So feeling very positive, really enjoyed the experience and it's only invigorated us to, to go again uh, back in full private control again. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. What great insights from you both. And I'd like to just say thank you so much, Neil and Surrender. That was that was brilliant. So that's all we have time for today, and I hope you enjoyed it. So I'd love to hear your comments too. <laughs> so please do drop us a line on socials. Until next time, thank you.